0: Welcome to the
1: Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast. All Bow Hunting All the Time. Now, here's your host, Editor Christian Burke. All right, welcome to the Bow Hunting Podcast. All Bow Hunting All the Time. Today, it's gonna be a really interesting conversation and it's gonna be a fun time because I've got a guest that I always enjoy spending time with somebody who isn't just one of our field editors isn't just one of the best bow hunters that I know and I would argue one of the best bow hunters in America but I would say a good friend of mine who I've really enjoyed getting to know over the years that's Mr. Eddie Claypool from the great state of Oklahoma Eddie welcome back Thanks good to be here You know um you have had some major changes in your whitetail hunting perspective over the last several years and right. mainly uh, pertaining uh, or surrounding the fact that you and Peggy were able to buy a nice piece of ground out in Kansas. And for the first time in your life, uh, you've got some dirt of your own. And, of course, you always made your your bones in this game being a, a dyed-in-the-wool public land bow hunter. And you had something happen to you this past fall, which I think everybody, whether we own ground or not, because I don't own land, but I've got permission to hunt on some farms here close to home. And I've I've experienced the same thing. I think everybody can relate. And it's this, it's the great somebody shot my buck story. (laughs) yeah and and of course the my is in quotation marks right 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 absolutely yeah um but but I mean we've all done it right Eddie I mean you see a deer on trail camera or you have an encounter with a particular deer yeah you just see them feeding out in the food plot on your farm and all of a sudden we start to
0: think that these critters are like our our property exactly yeah yeah I just kind of you know different this year because it's on my own place and you feel a little more ownership I mean even in the past hunting public land I've, I've been on some pretty good deer before that I knew existed and usually had a picture or two of and uh, had other people end up harvesting them one time on a public parcel in Kansas I had a, a competitor hunting right there around we were t- hunting in the same general area on the public and uh, he was some Actually, your home state of Pennsylvania had come all the way down to Kansas, and uh, he ended up harvesting the buck that I was after. So, yeah, it happens, and it just makes it a little different when it's on your own dirt. You do you get to putting the my on it a little too much, and uh, yeah, I got a, a rude awakening that they're not my deer; they're they're the public's deer, and they go everywhere. And uh, so, I lived through that little incident, and I'm ready to move on and get get my head screwed on, back straight a little better now
1: (laughs) well i don't know man you sent me you sent me a picture was this
0: during the gun season it must have been because you had you had an orange vest on yeah it was the opening day of the gun season and you know kansas is a baiting state and uh so everybody up there especially the firearms guys they really all they do is go dump a big pile of corn out somewhere and get up on a hill or somewhere close and just sat there and Shoot them, you know, it's it's not really hunting. And I sure wish there was Kansas Game and Fish would, you know, do something about maybe getting rid of the baiting deal. But anyway, I had that deer on my property for two or three years there and had watched him grow up to a really awesome buck this year. And uh, I had him by me twice in November and made the very difficult decision not to shoot him. And um, I've never let a deer that size walk. he was in somewhere in the upper 160s, close to 170. And, and then the first day of gun season, he had evidently followed a hot doe over across my fence to my neighbor. And uh, he got the guy was in town and got a cellular camera picture of the buck and uh, jumped in his truck and run out there and parked just off my fence corner and walked around the hill there. And about 30 minutes time, shot that buck and uh, was done. <laughs> Well, so that's uh, I mean, there's a lot there that we can
1: dive into, you know, from the from the cell camera to just you passing the deer. So, you know, let's walk through it, because I think it's a really interesting discussion And to to really do it justice. Uh We've got to take a step back to you guys buying this property in the first place, which was now how many years ago?
0: Was this your third season this past fall, Eddie, on your place? Yes, this was our third autumn there. We had bought it the two summers before, and and shortly thereafter we bought bought it. We had our first hunting season, and and now we've had two more. So we're on. We just finished up, kind of our third. Yes, and and so you know, in the past, like you talked about, the size of this deer,
1: probably uh-huh. you know that one sixty to one seventy, and uh-huh. you never ever would have you know, thought twice about passing a deer like that, all the years that you hunted on public ground, I mean, you'd have had an arrow gone faster than you could, you know, say, boo. Um, right. So, right. you know, talk to me about, you know, how your mindset changed when you started hunting your own dirt. And And I know from even talking to you in years past, just even passing deer pretty much at all, you were having some cognitive dissonance over
0: that. Cause you're like, what in the world am I doing? Right. Yeah. You know, I, you, it, bow hunting and maturing as a bow hunter is a process. And if you're hardcore, you're going to go through quite a few stages of it to get to the final goal of, you know, it's kind of a circle. Uh, I feel you start out, you know, just trying to get something and then you end up setting goals. And, and as those goals get bigger and bigger you you'll usually get to a point where you realize you're kind of losing your marbles here this is not sensible and when i was hunting public land and and running around and trying to knock on doors and get permission to hunt i kind of set a standard of about a you know a 140 type buck was what i wanted to get but anytime a pope and young caliber animal come by especially you know on public for sure I felt like I better harvest it because it was all I could do to get those opportunities. And and when I got my own place, all of a sudden, you know, after one season on it, I, I saw that I should, in a realistic scenario, you know, have three or four of those a season uh, and possibly more. And as, I, as the years here have gone by, I've even got a lot more aware of the fact that some of these deer are never going to get real big. Their antlers just plain, they're going to top out it. Maybe some of them top out at one twenty-five or thirty as mature deer, and some of them can be. This deer was three and a half year old buck. Uh, the first year we seen him, I didn't pay him any attention whatsoever. He had a distinguishing trade his first year, but he was just a you know small antler deer. And then last year he jumped up into about the one thirty-five maybe range, and I you know I wasn't interested in killing him. And then this year during the summer he blew up and went to you know he put on 35 inches of antler and i knew he was his genetics were tremendous he went to a six by six typical and he was going to be a deer that given another year or two could have turned into you know probably my one in a lifetime deer but it was a roll of the dice i took the chance and uh you know now that i have the opportunity to make that decision which is weird to me because in the past, like you said, anything that was in the 160 range on public land or even private land that I just had gained access to would have been a shooter deer in a heartbeat. I would have been thrilled and called it good right there and counted my blessings, but human nature, we get a little greedy when it's our own baby and, uh, we start setting higher standards. And so I kind of went through that process now and, uh, I've got to get back a little bit more real and just move forward, hunt, hunt my well, average I'm sure. I mean,
1: yeah, but I don't know if you do. And I'm interested to see where we end up at the end of this because right, in, right. in spite of the disappointment, right? I'm still not I'm still not sure that what you did was the wrong call. Because oh well, you yeah. know, I've I've heard you know, okay, we're on a different end of the spectrum here in Pennsylvania, because when right. you talk about Kansas and some of these deer topping out around 130, I mean, heck, some of our deer, not that we get a lot of old deer here, because we shoot an awful lot of young ones, right. but some of our deer are going to top out at a 100, a 110 right. inches, yeah, and just some really cool, gnarly old bucks that won't right. score really well. Right. Um, you know, and of course, we do get some 140s, 50s, 60s, 70s, even some 200s on occasion. Um, right. But generally, you know, we don't have a ton of big bucks. But where I was going with this, Eddie, is, yeah. you know, we have a saying around here. We hear a lot and it's frustrating to those yeah. of us who, who would like to see some more bigger boxes. Right. Guys will say, well, if I didn't if I don't shoot them, the neighbor's going to shoot him, you know? So right. you have this, you have this two and a half year old eight pointer coming through your woodlot, Right. And, and the guy thinks, if I don't shoot him, my neighbor's going to shoot him. And, and I always feel like, man, what a terrible justification for killing right. an animal, you know? Yeah, it
0: is. But, yeah, that, but gun, the, that, that gun hunter that shot my deer when I, I talked to him, he, uh, I said, Hey, you know, I'm trying to grow a few, Better deer out here, and you guys will be some of the beneficiaries of it. What do you think about maybe we kind of have a meeting of the minds? And and I said, from that one fifty to one seventy range is a, is a jump that is one more year. I said, uh, how about it? What do you think about letting some walk? And he basically said that the saying around there is that if they're one fifty and brown, they're down. You know, and uh, up there in Kansas most every gun hunter if it's a 150 caliber deer or above they're not letting it walk and i get it i get it that's a nice buck but that one year right there can be the difference between the, you know a 150 and a 180 maybe the next year you know and it's just the way it is you just have to learn to deal with it well and it's like you said you take you take
1: your chance willingly right. because right. You know, the other side of that, what we talked about is, you know, the guy saying, Well, if I don't shoot it, the neighbor will. Right. But then my reply always is, Well, look, if you if you don't shoot it, the neighbor might, he might kill it. But I'll tell you one thing, if you kill it, it's dead. If <laughs> it's you dead. kill it, yeah. it's dead, and the neighbor ain't gonna do nothing with it. You know what I That's mean? Right. Yeah, but yeah. but if but if you let it go. Right the neighbor might kill it but he might not right? right so so anyway but before we go further i want to get more of this backstory because there's other things that come into this eddie first right. of all i gotta I got to ask did you have a name for this deer because everyone got a name now for every big buck surely you yeah. called
0: this thing something yeah no uh no name uh I named one that first year Earl killed him cause he, he needed to be killed. He was just no junkie deer. And I didn't like the taste in my mouth. I don't, you know, to each his own, but no names for deer for us. We just, we referred to this deer as the, uh, the, the big six by six,
1: you know? Okay. And, yeah. and, and then the other thing I wanted to ask you about, because there's more, it's not just owning the ground. Right. That, that, you know, um, you know, was a big part of this, but you've been doing a lot of habitat work as well. So you haven't, right. you haven't owned this land all that long, but you've already spent a, a quite a good deal of time doing various things. And, and, you know, just give folks, you know, a little sort of summary of, of the different projects that you've undertaken
0: in your time, uh, right. you know, since you had the place. Yep. Yeah. You know, I'm kind of a only child syndrome, uh, learn on your own, pain as you go. I'm not really into all this reading and learning and then taking expert advice. I got to do it. I'll goof it up and then I'll do it right. And I've just been learning a lot of mine. And I, I definitely have learned some things that I did not know. Uh, like one of them that revolved around the, the baiting thing. I did not give baiting enough account. Uh, I had no idea how you can absolutely drain a property just by being next door to it sometimes with bait. I mean, them deer, them white tails to walk out in the four lane and stand to eat that corn, I guess. I've never baited. I've never wanted to. Uh, but one thing about it, I'm going to be forced to put some sort of a feed station out in the center of my property out in the prairie. I'm not going to hunt it, but I am going to have to try to keep my deer on my property because they will take off. And cross in every direction. That if the neighbors are doing it, you're not. If and I, I it's just a, a stinking deal. I wished it wasn't part of hunting, uh, the baiting thing. And then as far as the habitat, my place is like eighty percent open ground. It's it's grasslands, it's prairie with wooded draws. And so what I've been doing is trying to stop. They have a communal community burn up there, and they burn everything every spring. And I've, I've stopped that and hopefully i'm going to keep it from burning for a few years and it's the prairie is starting to grow up and get thicker now and have uh, all kinds of different vegetation and the deer are getting a little bit more comfortable out in it and if i get it to where they can uh, you know bed out in it and, and stay out in it i will have uh basically doubled or tripled my amount of habitat that can hold deer because when you know when they just live in my timbered cover they're not able to live on but about a quarter of my property and I think I'm going to be able to change that a little bit it's getting a whole lot better and I've been cutting down some cedar thickets opening them up and letting it grow in underneath them a lot better and get a lot more browse and uh, because after having planted some food plots and stuff I see that you know food plots are fine but they're not a cure-all The deer will come through them and browse on them a little bit, and go right on about their business and spend most of their day out there in the prairie and in the woods browsing. Um, Food plots are not a cure all uh, at my place. They just nibble on them and move on. And uh, so, you know, I've learned that I can't do a whole lot other than, you know, make my my natural cover better, Uh, let it let it get thicker and let it get more diverse. Um uh, there's a lot of browse and stuff in my in my uh, native i had cattle on my property uh, all, b- almost year round for as far as time went back and that's stopped now so um uh, the stuff's getting a chance to grow out and i'm going to start cutting more mature timber down and letting a lot of new stuff come up and uh, I, i'm i'm learning and it that's what i bought the property for was to play with and to uh, learn make mistakes and and get better and uh hopefully within a few more years i'll have twice the number of deer i have on my property because on any given day we always laugh and we say i probably have a total of 15 to 18 maybe 20 deer on that half a square mile of mine it's not a high deer density area but if i can get that up to 30 or 40 deer on any given day I'll have a lot better fun, get see more deer and have more intense rutting action, you know. I bet you you'll end up eventually
1: with a lot more deer than even that, Eddie. If I, Could I be. give you long enough, you'll have you'll have a pile of deer in there. But I think it's interesting that, um, you know, the cover and the browse right. are probably, at least at this point, and again, you know, maybe it'll change over the years, you'll continue to learn and refine and try different things. Right. It's probably overlooked by Hmm. the average hunter because if you give the average guy, myself included, a piece of
0: ground and say, hey, you can do some management here,
1: food plots,
0: the first thing you think about. Oh, I, I fell into the same trap. The very first thing I did was go in and start making all these plans for food plots and implement them. And then I had them sitting there with very few deer messing with them the first year. I mean, they would come through there and browse a little and go right on and go over there and start nibbling on stuff. And I'm like, hey, man, what is the deal? You know, you got all this agricultural. I mean, I had everything from, of course, in the summer, I'm not going to kid you, they do love bean fields. You know that. And you can, you can harbor some deer and do some good stuff with bean fields. But in the fall, they're not interested that much. And they're at their peak, weight the does are healthy and happy and they don't just stand around and eat your winter weed and your alfalfa and your clover they browse on it 10 15 minutes here and there and go on about their everyday lives and as i started cluing into that and started uh, opening a lot more cover up and you know mowing stuff down and letting it re-sprout you know for different types of new growth man they they like it uh they actually i think would rather eat native new young browse than food plots you know well and the nice thing about the browse and the cover
1: is that they kind of go hand in hand and then you have um areas that not only are feeding deer but are holding deer holding yeah and deer feel very comfortable if that if a deer you know especially a mature buck think about it if a mature buck has a has a choice between stepping out into a wide open food plot and eating there or he has another area where he can bed and basically stand up and eat just by walking around in circles right there by his bed where do you think he's going to spend the most of his time
0: yeah and you would thought I would have known I did know it but you know it's that infatuation of a new place and the human nature is well I'm going to make this better when in fact mother nature can usually be the you can't beat mother nature really you can supplement her a little bit give her a little help but those like my deer are native prairie out in the middle of nowhere deer they're they're not used to agriculture and they've made a living off that land for since the beginning of time and i just thought i'd run in there and give them some uh chocolate cake you know and they don't necessarily prefer chocolate cake (laughs)
1: Yeah, well, uh, you know, the other thing, Eddie, is this particular deer to kind of come back to him. Uh-huh. So so this, you know, because we kind of set the stage and give people some perspective on, you know, where you're starting out from with this property. This right. deer, you know, the big six by six, as you call them, right. that's right. going to be a deer that you will never forget, because really, that's um, that was the first really big special deer that you probably ever had on your place and so if you own that you know you're going to own that probably for the rest of your life with good health you're going to have 20 maybe a little more than 20 years left of hunting on that place you're never going to forget
0: this deer no not at all he and and that's a catch 22 i've never related to knowing a deer that just is foreign to me usually for the past 40 years of my hunting life i'd see a deer I never knew it existed. And if I didn't get it and take it home with me right then, I'd never see it again most of the time. And it's kind of I'm getting uh, a lot, you know, sentimental and getting to where if I had been able to have harvested this six by six this year or even the next, I probably would have sat down there in privacy and cried probably because it's going to be a it's a bittersweet thing when you're used to uh, being around animals on your property not necessarily seeing them but they get in your head they're part of your life you you have a pride and a sense of ownership you've you're giving them security you're giving them a, a great place to live their life and when you one day when you take their life it's definitely going to be a little gut-wrenching you know
1: yeah well i mean it's a difference between you know all those years that you're hunting the public land right you think about what you're invested in there you were invested in uh the time that you had in it and your travel to get to those places and the limit the limit on your time there before you had to go back home again and so so yeah you had like um a sense of urgency to punch that tag uh with the first good buck that comes along now instead of your investment mindset being what you have invested in your time now it's more of what you have invested in the property and your relationship with that property so you're looking at those deer you know differently
0: absolutely yeah it's more to me about the the whole 365 is what makes it special i mean i get a kick out of every season up there uh, i'm always planning and learning and fiddling around and you know i'll see a deer i'll see a fawn i see old one horn i see the this the doe with the loppy ear i mean we we get to see a lot of these local deer quite often and i see them on camera even more and i get more fun out of looking at them watching them live their life go through the cycles that they go through you know then i do hunt them i mean the hunt now to me is is a mild-mannered thing because it's like once I've hunted this property long enough, there's only so many things you can learn about, you know, the actual where to get and what to do because you, you pretty well figure it out and you know where to go and what to do. And the challenge that I spent for 40 years was a run and gun tactic was, you know, running into new places I never set foot on and within a matter of very little time, putting a boot to them making a quick hunt here and there and, and making good decisions and pulling a, a deer out of there. And that that's satisfying. Uh, I'm going to get back to that some. I'm not just going to 100% set on my place. I, I don't want to lose my roots. I want to still uh, be able to keep some of my savvy, you know, uh, being no, able to go wanna... from... And you yep. want to be able to go, go over to some
1: public land and shoot a nice 145-inch deer and feel good about it, right? Because if right. that
0: same deer was at your place, you might not shoot them. Exactly. And, you know, the antler size is just a method of trying to up the ante. Like, if it's a mature deer, you know, a five-year-old type buck or older, really that that is something that, whether it's on public or private, and whether it's 140 or 180, the antlers are just a genetic flute thing, you know. I mean, I'm, I'm going to get to where I harvest a couple of older bucks here and there once in a while and probably not shoot great big antler deer a lot. I'd like to let my place go. I know this buck that got killed probably passed some good genetics on this year. He went right through the whole November rut and hopefully and surely bred some does. And uh, so that six by six genetic might be coming on and I'm going to let some of them go. And if, if, if they bait them off my property and kill them, uh, it's just the way it is. I don't know what to say. I I didn't buy it 100% for the deer hunting. I bought it for the place that it is. And I'm just going to kind of take a chill pill and uh, enjoy it, do the best I can. And if I'm growing deer for other people, I guess I'll just have to uh, let them take advantage of the situation, you know?
1: Well, I mean, yeah, let's go back to this season because you, you know, you mentioned it at the outset, but let's go into a little more detail now. Right. Over, over the course of the archery season here this past fall, I think you said there were t- two different occasions that this deer was, I think, like in about 20 yard range and you could easily have, you know, harvested that buck and you chose not to. So, yeah. you know, tell, tell me about those encounters and your thought process and kind of how you felt about all that at the time
0: yeah well I still hunt my old way which is I call it running travel corridors i I don't set on food plots I don't set around feeders or nothing I just can I've always had the ability to figure out where they are going to get between all that and I get in there and and on November one about eight o'clock in the morning I've been there since first light and had about three or four other little Thinker bucks coming and going here and there, and classical beautiful November morning light, frost and light wind and sunny, just one of them beautiful days to be alive. And about eight thirty, I think it was in the morning, I looked across the creek in front of me, and I seen this guy pop out on my side of the creek, and he could have went anywhere, but he meandered right over there to me. There was a scrape in front of me, and he come over there and worked that scrape at twenty yards. And it was the first time I had been close to this deer ever. And uh, he had actually chipped off a little bit of some of his antler back in the early, like the first few days of October, he'd evidently done some sparring or something. And he broke off about an inch and a half to two inches off the tip of his left main beam and about a half inch to three quarters of an inch off his G five, four and three on his left side. And so when he got up there, I was looking at him, and he was he was blunted on those ends. And I thought, you know, th- I was already made my mind up; I was going to let him go before he ever appeared. And I looked at that, and that gave me a little bit better feeling. Like, you know, I I don't I don't want to harvest him. Broke up a little bit, and he broke off a couple of non typical points at that. He also had grown about seven or eight inches of extras down around his uh, brow points, and mm-hmm. uh, a couple of them were broke off. Mm-hmm. And so. We had an encounter that day. It was excessively fun, enjoyable. I went back and told Peg about it. and We laughed and just, you know, man, finally, point blank encounter with, the, you know, the big boy. And uh, so, so yeah, and you mentioned, so this deer had been around
1: ever since you owned the property. You were right. probably one, one and a half your first year. And, right. uh, and so you had a bunch of camera pictures of this deer, but that was the first time
0: that morning that you were ever really close to him. Yeah. First time I actually laid eyes on him, even in the summer, this summer, he was pretty local. He was coming out into one of my bean fields and clover and he was eating and really putting on the inches. And I wouldn't go down there and try to set and look at him in person. I was getting some tremendous trail camera pictures of them and they were good enough to suit me. And so I had never literally laid eyes on this deer alive that I know of. Uh, I might've, you know, in the first year and not paid him any attention. Last year, I had some trail cameras of him in about three or four different locations. And I I can't guarantee that I didn't glance him at a distance last year, but uh, I hadn't really seen him that I knew of. And it was pretty impressive because he was one of those bucks this year that the minute you seen him, the second you laid eyes on him, he's an instant shooter and you grab your bow and get excited. And it was weird to sit there and not grab that bow and go through the process of trying to do what you could to get this deer killed it was different I've never done that before and it was a a a weird experience yeah I call those holy you know
1: what yeah yeah sometimes sometimes when you're in hunting camps around the country you know if I go Uh hunt with some outfitters around the country and guys who don't you know travel around as much they always wonder, you know how will I know when it's a shooter You know, Uh and I'm like, look, if if a deer comes in and you think he's pretty nice, but then you immediately start debating in your mind, you know, is he a shooter or isn't he? I'm like, Mm. that's not a shooter. Right. When when you have a buck come in, that the first thing that comes into your mind when you first lay eyes on that deer is holy, you know what? And you just want to grab your bow and get ready because that's a shooter. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. yeah, this buck was like that. I mean, he, he had enough antler that he was a no-brainer to me. Uh he was one year from being, I mean, he was kind of in that zone between big and 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 huge. Uh you know. Well, yeah, he was already he was already a great buck, but right. like
1: you said, he was one or two years away from being giant tru- yeah. truly
0: special, right? Truly right. world class. Yeah. I think he was going to go over 200 inches uh, easily. I mean, I don't know though. I haven't watched this enough yet. I mean, I don't know if it's possible they can put on 35 inches one year, and then maybe they don't do anything close to that again. Uh, I don't think so. I think if he'd have just put on 20 more inches like next year, he'd have been a 190 caliber deer, and then another year on top of that, he's well over 200 and. And what if he'd have put on 35 inches the next couple of years each time? You know, he would have been a cover of a magazine book, you know. And uh, well, that, I mean, that's the disappointment
1: is that that's what you wanted to find out and you're right. not going to get the opportunity. But
0: uh, nope. t- tell us about the second encounter, Eddie. Yeah. November the 20th, I was in a different stand on the other end of my property down by my big creek and a uh, beautiful creek bottom. I love sitting there and it was another classical cold. November morning with not a lot of wind and I'd seen a few bucks that morning and I, I was sitting facing west the creek bottom run east west and I had to set the stand up where I to look east down the creek bottom I had to look behind me which I did not like doing but ever so often I'd look back there and the, about nine o'clock in the morning I'd probably look behind me already 20 or 30 times that morning and I look back there, and there he stood at about 60 yards just standing there in that majestic head up position and the minute my eye seen him once again it was oh my that's a no-brainer you know and i did not know it was him i didn't know it was him because he was far enough i couldn't really pick him apart by eye and I, i eased my little glasses up and looked and then my brain engaged and said that might be your six by six and i looked and sure enough, it was him. And because if it had been a different buck, a new buck, one that didn't live on me, was a passer-thrower. This is a definite shooter buck. I mean, I would have been glad to have harvested him. But since he was our local, I uh I said, Well, here we go again. And sure enough, he comes and walks right by me at 20 yards, going through the oak leaves. It was one of the most beautiful, and it was cold enough that every step he took, he was uh vapor clouds coming out his nostrils it was it was just unbelievable it was beautiful and I took some still pictures of him with my handheld camera and uh, he chased a little buck off and did all that stuff right there around me and I I I had him for two or three minutes at 30 yards and less and beautiful and uh, I I just had all I could do because I had a little guy sitting here saying you better get that you better get that. You're not going to get it to live another year. You and I, I went ahead and took my chance, and uh, I don't regret it. It was fun, uh, learning experience, and it it hasn't jaded me to the point that I'm not going to let some others go. Uh, if I ever have another buck of that caliber genetics, I'll probably let him go and see if he can't get big. Uh, I'll shoot the older ones that ain't going to get big, you know, and and wait and see if I get a chance at another great one you know one day
1: well yeah and like you said you never know because over the years you're you are liable to have a handful of really nice bucks that don't necessarily like you say spend the majority of their time on your property but they will right. pass through during the rut because just because you own a few hundred acres now doesn't right. mean you're you're confined to only shooting the deer. That are regular visitors to your property.
0: During right. the rut, anything can happen. Well, yeah. And I've got some trail camera pictures from two different bucks that were passer-throughers, I call them. One of them, one time he came through and was gone. He was at least a 165-5 five by five. Uh, not a real old deer, one of the ones that you would like to take up residency on your place. And then I had another uh deer that's probably closer to the four or five year old age that come in that was a flirting with 170 uh, six by five typical um that had a common base point on his g2 and three just a big old heavy nice buck and uh he was st- he was on me for about 10 or 12 days and then he he disappeared again um but yeah who knows potluck uh I've got country around me that's so large and infinite, uh, no public roads in it, big ranches. uh, There could be a giant up here one day, you know? Absolutely. So, so November 1st and November
1: 20th, you had your, you had your two chances at this buck and you obviously, you know, had more or less made up your mind. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's always some temptation in the moment, but, but my guess is you probably never took your bow
0: off the hook either time. I and, did not. Uh, yeah, I left yeah. it hanging. Once you handle it, something—if you're a killer—that's uh, danger when you handle
1: that bow. <laughs> I always say, for me, it's—it's uh, it's not so much just having the bow in my hand, but if I draw,
0: it's, oh yeah, it's, yep. uh, it's—it's
1: done. If I get to full draw, like I, I'm not sure if I've let down on a deer more than. You know, once or twice in my entire life, unless right. unless I had to, just because there was no shot. You know what I right. mean? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's bad. I don't exercise a whole lot of self control once I'm at anchor. Um, well, but but anyway. So now let's go to the day. You know that this deer was killed, obviously yeah,
0: by by right. somebody else. So what was the date on that, Eddie? That was November the thirtieth, the opening day of Kansas firearm. And I've got a little follow-up on that's kind of personal. It's hard for me to talk about because it hurts my feelings. But I got up that morning before daylight and made some coffee uh, in our trailer. And I was I got a cup and walked out onto the. Uh, we have a cement floored pole barn, and we we park our trailer on the patio of it. And I walked outside, and it was just cracking gray light. And I looked off onto the prairie down below us and I seen three deer down there in the grass and I went and got to binos and looked down there and I'll be doggone if it wasn't this big buck the six by six following a hot doe with another fairly nice buck a 130 ish type buck behind him trying to kind of uh, worry him you know and get at her and they were headed south toward my south boundary over there which was only another oh 300 yards or so ahead of them And I sat there and watched him right out there in front of my building, at 200 yards from my building. First time I'd ever seen him out in the open. He was in that stage of just, you know, where they'll follow a hot doe out onto the four lane if the doe leads them out there. And I something went through my mind, saying, "It's opening day of rifle season. You you probably ought to throw your clothes on, get on the ATV, and run around to the far south." into your property and kind of bump them back into you and i thought no i'm not going to play that game that's getting a little bit silly in my book that's not normal i'm not going to do it well evidently that doe led him right on over there right on across my south boundary and right over to that guy's corn pile and that guy got a picture of that that morning I don't know what time, but mid-morning probably. And he jumped in that truck and ran out there, and I'll be doggone parked and walked around that hill. And Peg and I are sitting there on our patio when we he pulls that rifle shot off. You heard the shot? Absolutely, 300 yards from us. And did you know, did you get a sick feeling in your stomach the moment you heard that? Absolutely. I, I told Peg, I said, well... That's either that buck or he has just shot a buck that suits him. And I said, we just got to hope and pray he shot a buck that suits him. Because if it if our deer, I didn't know if if our our six by six went over there or not. I never physically saw him leave my property, but I had a suspicion he probably, and it was, he'd went over there. I jumped on my ATV and run over there because I was kind of in a quandary. I've never been in that position. It's a weird position. And I can't say that I really like it at all because- I, at that moment when that gun went off and I realized I might have lost that buck for good, it put a very sick feeling in my gut. And I realized right then and there that I'd become a little bit too possessive and a little bit too attached to that deer. Um, and that, that's weird because I've never, I've never had that to live through before.
1: Yeah. And so, so, you know, and you get over there. On your yep. your four your four wheeler, and uh, would you just drive right up the the property line, like the borderland there, and see if you could see a hunter standing out there or something?
0: Well, he was just parked fifty yards off my fence, and I have permission to go over there, uh, not to hunt uh, the people that lease the it's 800 acres to my south and they lease it for cattle and we 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 have an understanding you know they some of their cattle get over on me once in a while and I let them come get them off I, I don't even make them you know let me know and then they don't mind that I go over there once in a while or that I run cattle back over to them so I had permission I just run over there on foot real quick to his truck and he was walking back up there and I when I got there I knew right off the bat this wasn't going to be a pleasant experience because the guy had a really sour look on his face and was not happy about me being over there wanting to uh, talk to him. And he just kind of really wouldn't even talk to me. He he did not want me there. And I don't know who the guy is. He's not one of the landowners. Uh, he's evidently somebody they let hunt. And uh, finally, I just asked him. I said, "Buddy," I said. Do you do you mind if I see what buck you shot? Because I just I just really would give anything to just know what it you got. And he wouldn't even talk to me. He just turned around and started walking off. And I said, Well, okay, I'm gonna press this matter. I you know, if he wants to act like that, I can do it too. And I just took off walking right behind him. And he walked over there about 60 yards and there laid that buck. Um, he never he never even said anything to you when you followed him uh, no he didn't want me there but I, i had already figured out he couldn't run me off either or he would have done it and so i just thought well two people can play this horse's rear game if you want so i just took off after him and walked over there and there the buck was and and then i i asked him i said hey bud you mind if i tell you a little story about that buck there and he didn't talk to me i said hey i I've been watching that deer for two or three years. And I let that deer walk here in the past month twice with my bow. I said, I'd just like some of you guys to maybe understand that I'm going to try to let some of these deer get big and grow mature out here. And and he said, well, but basically if they're 150 and brown, they're down. Just kind of leapt off to me. And I thought, well, this isn't going nowhere. This is a fruitless conversation. So I just turned around and walked off and got on my ATV and went back to the property. And that was that. How'd you get that picture with the buck? Yeah, that was, he did that. I, I can't believe I asked him, I had my phone in my pocket. I said, would you take a picture of this buck for me? I, would like to have a picture of this. So he, and he just snapped it and gave me my phone back and um, I I headed out and you can tell by was, looking in that you can tell by looking in that you, picture. I, I'm pretty sick.
1: You look like you've seen a ghost, man. I mean you do. You look yeah. like you're about to freaking yeah. I'm telling yeah, that, you. Yeah. Ash. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a weirdest picture of you. Cause I mean, of course, I mean, I've been like 15 years at the magazine and right. I don't know how many hundreds of photos I've seen of you with dead animals. Right. And I never have seen another one before or since with the expression on your face <laughs> in that picture. I mean, it was like, Oh, that man is in shell shock. Right.
0: Now. <laughs> yeah. And you know, that's not right. That's not right. I And I, hey it he wasn't doing anything illegal that pouring that pile of corn out over there's legal in the state of kansas baiting. and so you know he had every right to kill that deer uh do i like the fact that he invested 30 minutes to an hour of driving out there and walking around there and shooting it with a gun no i don't but hey it takes all kinds uh gun hunters are humans too and uh so at the end of the day i've just got to be okay with it and move on and uh just be happy that I got to grow that deer and know that deer, and um, it just broke my heart to see him get wiped out like that. Though he was just in that stupor of following a hot doe, he would have walked out in the middle of Interstate Forty and stood with her. And uh, but, man, but but at, but at the same time,
1: Eddie, that's the magic of the rut. That's the only time that yep. their defenses go down like that. And how right. many how many deer just like. Light- just yeah. like that dear. have you taken advantage of over the years, Absolutely. right?
0: Oh, yeah. And I, I, I've thought about that a lot. I've spent a lot of time in meditation since it. and I, I'm okay. I'm good to go. And uh, nothing ventured, nothing gained. I've got a couple of other, two or three other bucks on me that have been around for two or three years now. And some of them are topped out. You know, they're those bucks that are going to top out at maybe, you know, 150, 55, 60, somewhere in there. And uh, so... I'm happy I got a ton of young deer coming up two and a half year olds that are the 125 types got good genetics um I'm blessed I'm happy to be in the position you know well absolutely because you know when this first happened we talked a little bit and I kind
1: of got the impression from you right off in the in the immediate aftermath that you were like well, that was stupid of me, and and I've learned my lesson, and I ain't gonna try to do that again. Right but now, yeah. I can I can already tell because now it's been like a almost a month, yeah. and you've you've mellowed on that, and you've realized right. that, honestly, what you went through. Now I've never had the privilege yet, right? Right. Right. But my my day is coming to get land right. like you yep. you did, right? Right. Yeah. I think most guys, if we had a bunch of guys here on the show right. that had been in your shoes, would have a similar story because everybody, when they first buy land, they have the visions of not only right. growing those big deer, right, and harvesting them because they're right. as we said at the beginning of the show, those are your deer. <laughs> Yeah, but, but you have to learn that they're not all your deer. But if you stay this course over a period of time, Eddie, you yep.
0: will reap some rewards, right? And you know, hey, what are rewards? I mean, how do you define trophies? How do you define rewards? I mean, I, I, if anybody ought to be in the latter stages of outdoorsmanship, it's me because. I I'm not bragging. I'm not, I'm just stating some facts in my, in my lifetime, I've got to spend more time outdoors doing bow hunting and everything outdoors ish from fish. I mean, I lived the large life outdoors. And so I'm just happy to get to where I can define a trophy or define my reward as having this place and the solitude with it and uh, getting away from the rat race, uh, Having that warm, fuzzy feeling come over me when I drive into it, um and the deer are just kind of an icing on top um, they're 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 twenty five percent of the equation you know three fourths of my reward is that the good Lord bless me with a place to get old on and hopefully pitch over dead off of the of that hill one these days and uh, not have to be in the rat race all the time,
1: yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, Eddie, I knew it would be an interesting, you know, conversation, and I'm glad we had the chance to do it. And it just goes to show if, you know, I think we answered a really profound question uh, of the universe today, which is, can an old dog learn new tricks? And, <laughs> yeah. and I yeah. would say, yeah, the answer is yes, because yeah. you are experiencing new things in exactly. bull hunting that uh even after a lifetime of doing this you know there's more adventure yet to be found and and if that adventure you know isn't so much about killing anymore as it once was that doesn't make it any less uh
0: important or gratifying no it's actually more because you've got to eventually get off of the you know I say that but I know that there's a lot of bow hunters that will not get to progress you know and and I I, I don't feel sorry for them because it's not a bad thing. I mean, I lived that life for about 40 years of just scrapping and clawing and fighting for everything I got. But hey, that's a lean existence and it's very satisfying in its own way. Don't ever convince yourself you're not going to be happy if you don't get to go to that last level. I mean, I've got to experience it of the land ownership and everything good about that. But if I hadn't have, you know, I probably would have thought I was messing out on something. But at the end of the day, if you can just get out there and do your normal thing and get, you know, figure out what you got to do to get some enjoyment and don't base it on just antler size. Get some places to go and do some things, bow hunting wise, whether it's out west or midwest or east, it don't matter, north, south, wherever, and have fun and enjoy it. And just be happy with whatever state you're in, you know.
1: Well, I think that's a great way to end it, Eddie. I can't top that what you just said. That's some great advice. The only thing I will say is that there were a couple things that you brought up that I thought would be a great conversation. And I think we'll have to do a whole additional episode, maybe with another guest or two bait and cell cameras those two things alone I think we could have a really interesting hour-long
0: conversation about just that I guarantee it and I'd like to hear some perspectives from people that are totally against it some that are you know for it and you know out west they're already in the process of doing away a lot with cell cameras and stuff you know and uh, I hope this baiting thing I just don't get it you can be you can take one step from kansas across the missouri line and baiting's illegal and i don't get it if it's illegal and it's not a good thing then it i don't know it's just like one state says you can smoke dope and the other says you can't i don't get it first why don't we get what is right what is wrong these game and fish departments i think they're spreading some of this disease stuff with this baiting i mean these baiting stations concentrate deer and it can't be a good thing to have them all there in that close of contact that much year round, you know? So anyway, we'll talk about that on down the line. That'd be a good topic.
1: Yeah. Somehow I think I just had a weird idea for a successful business, which would be a combination marijuana dispensary and deer corn <laughs> vendor.
0: <laughs> yeah. <exactly>. yeah that, <laughs> hey, that's a, that's my home state, Oklahoma. Now you can bathe here and you can smoke dope. We legalized, uh, medical marijuana and we're the number one medical marijuana producer in the country now and and we're putting recreational on the ballot so there you go
1: well that's good man that that just if it doesn't work out here at Peterson's bow hunting I can go do that Hey man listen I always enjoyed catching up with you my friend and uh, thanks quite. for thanks for sharing those personal experiences with everybody I, I think it it was a
0: really good episode and people are going to enjoy uh, and appreciate it anyway. well, I hope so thank you for the opportunity
1: Thanks for downloading the Peterson's bow hunting podcast all bow hunting, all the time. Pick up the latest issue of Peterson's Bow Hunting Magazine on your local newsstand or connect with us online at bowhuntingmag.com.